0: Chapter Thirteen of the Typewriter Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Typewriter Girl by Grant Allen. Chapter Thirteen concerning Romeo. It is a far cry from Verona to London. The ways of the Corso are not the ways of Pall Mall. Therefore, when I admit that my heart cried a Romeo, you are not to infer that I had fallen in love with him. I merely mean that I recognized in my new friend the type of man who might conceivably command my heart, and me, should fate so will it. When Romeo of Verona first saw his Juliet at the Capulet's mask, tis on record that at first sight of her he forgot fair Rosalind, for whose sake but one hour earlier he was dying to die, and, seizing his new goddess's hand, assured her without preamble or introduction, that his lips, two blushing pilgrims, ready stood to smooth that rough touch with a tender kiss, while Juliet, in return, was prepared to avow at a glance that, if the stranger were married, her grave was like to be her wedding-bed. Those be the modes of Verona, as vouched by Shakespeare. Our northern hearts, however, have not the instant electric responsiveness of italian breasts love with us is the child not the mother of acquaintance and though i thought of my romeo as romeo from the first moment i beheld him never calling him in my soul by any other name yet twas but some prophetic fancy on my part for many weeks he figured as no more than my employer juliet of verona if i recollect aright when she flung herself upon romeo was not yet full fourteen till lammas night at her age our northern maid with her fair hair down has conceived a romantic attachment for chocolate creams and the prettiest of her governesses i was twenty-two and twenty-two that mature age takes time to consider moreover it waits till its romeo asks it for pretend as we will, the plain truth is this: woman is plastic till the predestined man appears. Then she takes the mould he chooses to impose upon her. Men make their own lives; women's are made for them. Why, one of my dearest friends at the Guild, an ethereal being, was wont to pace the garden with a vellum-covered Rossetti or Pater in her pocket, composing Chanson Royal to the moon and to divine love till a man loomed on the horizon a man in a norfolk jacket with a commission in the guards and estates in the midlands whereupon she exchanged the rossetti all at once for a blear-eyed ferret and strolled about the lanes accompanied by a fox terrier and a cuban bloodhound this is not poetical but tis life as i have noted it to cut moralising short, I settled down at once to work at my romeos. When I arrived there with my machine, more dead than alive with shame, the good-looking clerk carried it upstairs for me reverently. He was a comely youth with a clean round face, devonshire apple cheeks, and pleasant parsonage manners. He came, indeed, as I discovered later, from an Exmoor rectory. A table was set for me in romeo's own room. I feared to invade that sanctum. Am I to sit right here? I asked. He smiled and answered right there. So I took my place under protest. Thenceforth I was part of the furniture of his study. My life at romeo's was a life of routine. Now routine varied by outbreaks is excellent for the nerves, but it does not afford material for romance it is the drab of life art insists rather on the purple and scarlet so i make no apology for dealing with it here only in a few brief episodes all our history is episode with blanks between which just serve conveniently to divide the chapters at home my social circle was limited to mr commissioner lynn my conversation to diddums then diddums At occasional intervals i dined with my aunt who abode at paddington but i did not yearn to make that joy too common my revered relation has all the vices of the decayed gentlewoman unheroic vices which interest nobody she hoards bits of string and half sheets of notepaper her table her ideas and her discourse are meagre she entertains angels disguised as curates and as a prop of the deaconesses institute at the office i had my seat in romeo's own room poverty emancipates it often occurred to me how different things would have been had my dear father lived and had i remained a young lady in that case i could have seen romeo at intervals only under shelter of a chaperone as it was no one hinted the faintest impropriety in the fact that the typewriter girl was left alone with him half the day in the privacy of his study not that this freedom gave me much occasion at first for talk with romeo he was courtesy itself and by nature conversable, but his chivalrous feelings and his sense of my isolation made him chary of speaking He dictated all day, or left me to transcribe, but he seldom broke silence save on matters of business. Nevertheless, from the outset, he was markedly kind to me. I had two nice boys at hand to run errands and carry my notes. One a skimpy London imp, compact of saucy humor, I called him Puck, the other a slender lad of fifteen, pale, delicate girlishly pretty with long straw-coloured hair and a distracted manner whom i rechristened ariel romeo gradually adopted this trick of speech from me it is a habit of mine as you may have observed to invent names for my friends and these generally stick i suppose because i borrow them as a rule from the poets who have classified us into types which recur perennially After I had been at the office a few weeks, I happened one day to slip into some Americanism, though I have seen little of America, having gone there but once on a visit to my father's folk at Salem, when I was not quite fifteen. I have inherited from my ancestry not a few Massachusetts idioms, one or other of which I sometimes let drop, unconsciously to myself, In the course of conversation romeo snapped at the word at once why you must be a new englander not quite i answered flushing my father was born at salem an american citizen but he became naturalized in england young and was a british officer not in the army romeo cried surprised yes i answered why not a colonel i grew hot as i spoke For the first and only time i think romeo doubted me then you must have a pension he broke out slowly it was partly desire to avoid telling the truth partly a certain native love of mystification or rather of piquing other people's curiosity but i answered with a touch of defiance an officer's daughter loses her pension on marriage i may be married perhaps or separated or a widow and i bent down over my work to hide my heightened colour he gazed at me for a second his eye fell on my left hand then he glanced away i could see him saying to himself he had no right to cross-question me but interest in me prevailed he drew near and stood over me you must forgive my persistence he said gently in his modulated voice each syllable clear as crystal But I feel constrained to ask you, Have you really a pension? For if so you have misled me. I looked up at him with proud eyes. My father's blood rose hot in me. I must tell you the truth, I said, or you will think I am ashamed of my father. I am not ashamed. I am proud of him. He was an English colonel, but I have no pension. He was a very brave man. He threw up his commission, in time of war, at a moment of danger almost in face of the enemy because he would not carry out orders which seemed to him unjust and he died of anxiety and fever just after on the west coast of africa i remember the case pray forgive me it was cruel of me to drive you not at all i am glad you did now you will understand better i rose flushed and faced him they say a soldier should resign his conscience into the keeping of the queen's advisers. My father could not. He felt wrong was being done. He would not make his judgment blind. He left me poor by it. And I am proud of it. Proud of him. You have reason to be proud. Romeo answered. I recall it all now. His previous record showed it was courage, not cowardice. I honoured him for it at the time, though the world thought otherwise. Thank you, I said in a low voice. May I go now? It is nearly five, and I feel after this. I can do no more work this evening. He opened the door for me and bowed even more respectfully than usual. There was sympathy in every movement. I felt he understood. I felt I had made a friend. I felt, still more surely than before, that this was my romeo end of chapter thirteen